who do I even think I am? You know, like I'm posting all these videos about teaching people how to do certain things in their lives. And what is my credibility in teaching people to do this? So I think um, that is my definition of what imposter syndrome is, is that you thinking that you don't have enough credibility to be teaching or sharing about what you want to share with the world. Imposter syndrome is such a real thing and it's a real struggle for so many people out there. But then one advice I think I would give them is also to just just do it. Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day they built for hours and hours but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast came to help them find a way. Because of this, makers became founders and earn the money they deserve. Because of this, founders can have growth, freedom, and wealth. Wealth of time, wealth of impact, wealth of family and relationships, as well as financial wealth. True wealth is what I'm really all about. And this journey has been full of ups and downs for me. Hello, my name is Abdulaziz. And from being a poor boy born to a single mother in North Africa with no money, no connections, only hard work, persistence, and even more hard work, to a European Ivy League business graduate and an expert on seven different psychological therapies with a great job. Still, I've lost everything twice, but I refuse to give up. So now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day. On this podcast, I'm privileged to interview hundreds of amazing people from members of the Forbes Technology Council, Google executives, Amazon, Microsoft, LinkedIn executives to Financial Times reporters and people from Harvard University, Cambridge, Stanford, even the Vatican Church, congressional candidates and decorated veterans, or just beginners wishing to make a difference in this world, all are welcome here. And thank you all so much for the support. After all this hard work of publishing a new interview every day, this podcast is now ranking highly on Apple in the entrepreneurship category, top 200 in San Francisco, top 100 in Australia, top 100 in Singapore, top 60 in Germany, top 50 in Canada, top 50 in the United Kingdom, and top in many other places. So please share this podcast with one new person today, because when they will listen to this podcast, they'll be in very good hands. And if you are interested in my mentoring services on how to use podcasting as a powerful tool to research and find your perfect product market fit, send me an email to mentor at storybonding.com or on Twitter at No Code Wealth. Let's begin. My guest today is Noor Shafiqa Shahira from University of Massachusetts Lowell to Penn State University to a first cohort on deck No Code Fellow, a 10-week program for builders who want to turn their ideas into reality using no-code tools surrounded by a community of peers. 
and the founder at Pocket Sized Inc., helping overwhelmed online entrepreneurs focus only on the things that matter, revenue generating or value added tasks by managing their projects, operations, metrics, and teams. Shaf is a one woman founder for a SaaS startup that helps small businesses and startups develop systems and automation that work for them. Shaf, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm really excited. We're going to have a lot of fun. So let's begin with my most favorite new question, which is this. Shaf, these days, these weeks, this period, what seems to be the thought on your mind that insists to be heard, whether it's something you're trying to change for yourself, for the world, or something to fix, improve, or just to reflect on because it's so important? Right. Um, I was like enlightened by this information by a dear friend of mine who is also a fellow at the On Deck No Code Fellowship. Her name is Carrie. Um, she ha- actually had tweeted about this quite recently. Um, it was about women are only 12% of SaaS founders. And that really sparked and ignited something in me that I really wanted to change that. And um, in my previous conversations with other fellows and, um, you know, the people that I've been talking with throughout my no-code journey, I realized that what I'm actually building is actually a SaaS product. And when I heard about this news from Carrie, I just realized that that's a really low number. I mean, 12% is really low to represent the women um, in tech especially in the no-code area, right? Because I'm personally very new in this area myself. And then I just thought that, you know, this should be amplified more to other women founders out there. And then it should really ignite their spirit and inspire them to create, you know, SaaS products that they actually believe in and that they want to share with the world. So that's really something really important for me right now to um, inspire other people out there if they're listening to this or if they followed me on Instagram or Twitter or even LinkedIn to really pursue what they want to do. And then um, as a person from the BIPOC community as well, um, from the Black, Indigenous and People of Color community, I realized that these people should be amplified. Their voices should be heard. So that's definitely one thing that I think... um, is really important for me right now in my life. Thank you. So if I understood you correctly, after Carrie tweeted about this and you thought about it, there are only 12% of the SaaS founders who are women and you didn't even realize you were part of it, but it was brought to your attention that your product is a SaaS and you want to ignite within women and minorities, the communities you're part of or not, all the kind, the types that will be a perfect fit to find a better life, to participate and partake in the no-code space and bring their ideas into reality. Is this correct? Yeah, you summarized that perfect. Thank you very much. And since you mentioned, you know, that you all fired them up and you were fired up for your own work and this community which you're new to whether it's the no code space or uh, being a founder a part of it etc what was the origin story the beginning because to understand how you got fired up to participate maybe can we can draw lessons for other women 
or minorities to ignite that fire in them as well? Yeah, for sure. Um, so your introduction for me was incredible just now. Um, I even forgot that I had a company before Systematize, which is Pocket Size. It's an online business management company that I founded fairly recently as well. It was um, in late 2020, where I realized that I really like helping small businesses to um, systematize their own businesses with systems and operations and, you know, managing their projects and stuff like that. And I realized that when I did my master's in um, management and organizational leadership at Penn State, where management is really what inspires me to help people, because I feel like that is one skill that I can definitely um, bring value to, to other people in their small businesses. So that's when the idea really started because I was working with different clients and um, I've been talking to other systems coaches and like experts out there. And then as I'm building this um, company, Pocket Size, as I'm helping more people, I realized that there are a lot of other small businesses and startups that have, um, you know, reached out to me and asked me what they could do to start with their systems and what they need to have in place to really start their business, you know, to get their businesses going, to scale them and stuff like that. And then I realized that, okay, um, I've been teaching everyone and I've been like helping them with like providing um, small little values through messages and then like emails and stuff like that. And I, and that's when I stopped to think and, uh, and I realized that, okay, they, there should really be a platform to help businesses to, you know, really center their systems and get the most out of um, the knowledge that they can get on a single platform, right? But I, there's really nothing like that right now. Um, I mean, the only, the biggest resources that they can find is through Google. And then with Google, there's just so many different information and like they have to comb through. You know, and then by the time they finally get the system that they actually want and they that they can use for their small business and within their budget, it's already far too long um, along their journey to start something, you know. And then I realized that there should be a platform to minimize the effort and also shorten the time for people to discover systems and automate their business faster than what they can actually do. And um, because I do offer these services like one-on-one -on -one with small businesses, I know there's a lot of startups and like small businesses out there that don't necessarily have the resources to outsource yet. So that's why this really inspired me to build a project. Um, and then that's when I heard of no, um, the ODNC fellowship, which really sparked the idea of me, okay, I can actually build this myself without the help of a technical founder. I didn't need to have that. And that really sparked the, you know, the fire in me even more because then I realized that, okay, I'm going to be a one woman founder. I'm going to do this for the other small businesses out there that have been reaching out and they need the help. So it just started out like that. And I thought that making a simple database library online would be sufficient. But then I realized that this could be something more than that. And that's when um, a fellow told me that, you know, this can actually be a SaaS product. So I guess that's the origin of where the idea came up. Thank you. And I, as I hear that, I can't help but think, well, what if you created a similar thing 
for women founders who are one women um, SaaS founders that instead of combing through Google all over the place or doing all those things that won't work like you mentioned, you can be the spearhead or the one who decides to make her mission to change that 12% into 21% and then 41% and then 50 plus percent, etc. through making it easy, simple from someone who is there, who understands their shoes, their language, what they're doing, and therefore your SaaS or the evolution of your work can focus on this since it fires you up and therefore you're willing to put in the grind. Could this be a workable idea? This definitely could be a workable idea. And I think it's already in the works because we do have communities of women out there like the women in no code. We're very active on Twitter and we're also active on Clubhouse, you know. And then there's also like um, the Gen Z community of like women founders and um, women VCs. And it's it's definitely rising at the moment. And I think there's just so much to see in the near future. And I think a product or a community like this could definitely amplify the voices of these women founders even more. And it's just so exciting to see where that could actually go. And then if my product could benefit them in any way, that's even more of a bonus for me because I really want to amplify these women because they have been such an inspiration for me and my life and my journey so far. Thank you. Can you share more both about the women that inspired you as well as when was the realization or the moment of thinking, wow, the minority communities that I'm part of need support and for me, I care about this issue. I will make it a mission. Did you notice anything specific? Was there something that made you come to this revelation or realization, both for the minorities as well as for the cause of women in tech and women founders and the inspiration, like examples of what inspires you and why? Yeah, um, of course, that's a really great question. And the inspiration really comes from the people that I've worked with. It's with the people that I work with and then the people that I've been a part of, you know, like the communities that I mentioned previously, like the women in no code, they inspire me every single day with the projects that they build. And then they're building everything in public too. That's what we've been taught on ODNC is to build in public um, and to share everything that goes on be, like behind the scenes with people so that people can people will know that you're only human you make mistakes and then you're willing and willing to be transparent to share all these you know um hard hardship and also the wins that you have within the journey that you have building your product and then i also met with like another malaysian um i'm a malaysian myself in the community um at odnc and it's, it's just surprising to me because like the Southeast Asian community um, doesn't really, you know, um, they're not really immersed in the idea of like building in tech or in no code, especially the women, you know, and I, I really want to change that. 
And I've been talking to multiple other friends that I have in Southeast Asia right now, and they have brilliant ideas and they just don't know how to, you know, create stuff like this. And then until I mention about no code and the possibilities that they can have, you know, building something using no code tools, it's just very, very inspiring for them. And it just ignites um, the motivation for them to make something for themselves um, and their future. So yeah, um, I would say that's my answer for that. Thank you. And now I'm curious about something because there are other generations who say that online communities can never match real life meetings, real life communities, and taken aside coronavirus. For you, it seems that a lot of inspiration, passion, and true bonds were created with people online in online communities, Twitter, etc. So as a your for sharing your first hand experience, do you feel that yes? The uh, online communities are great, but you cannot bond at a level that human or not human, like real life face-to-face communities can create. Or do you think that that's an outdated model of reality and people are people and therefore, whether behind the screen or not, you can share the same values, same things that build a truly magnificent community either way. What is your experience and thoughts about this? And it can help as well in knowing more about the right and best ways to connect with, build communities with women and minorities who could be more a higher percentage of the founder community. Yeah, I personally think that it's a very outdated kind of model to think about right now, especially right now, um, because with coronavirus aside and like with the whole pandemic aside, I feel like building a community online is a valid, very valid, valid, um, you know, source of like building uh, uh, a network of friends, a network of like connections that you, you know, you build online. And it's just so beautiful to see that these connections are being made online, you know, because we're, we're running away from the norm. And it's just so nice to break away from that in a way, I would say. And then, you know, it's just super great to see what conversations are being made and like what discussions are being made online. And with, you know, the video conferences that are going on right now, I don't believe that it's hard to share, you know, real emotions and real, you know, connections because you do get to see one another online, even though you don't get that personal touch with them, you don't get to see them, you know, um, face to face in real life. The connection between, um, you know, people through voice, even like this, my connection with you, it's, it's just great, because I feel very comfortable talking to you. And I think it just takes time for people who are not used to this kind of um, um, environment to really just get in there and like be out of their comfort zone and be immersed in the new technological world that we're currently living in. And, you know, if you're finally immersing yourself in that, your mindset will then change and then you will then be more comfortable with what you're trying to present to the world and building more networks with other people out there through the internet. So it's very life-changing and it's a, a great revelations for the new generation that's coming up. 
That is so insightful. I thank you for that. And to explore even more from another angle, the issue and potential for more women and more minorities in the founder communities and especially in the no code. You mentioned about how your idea came through, through discussions, noticing, experiencing. Well, if you were to give advice to any women who are thinking, well, maybe SaaS is a wonderful thing, but I don't have an idea. What do you believe is the right process, way, or approach if you were to design some ideal best practices and you're a systems thinker for generating a viable business idea for those women and minorities? What would you think will be the right way? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And um, I really like that question. So I think what people can do is that you just think for myself, what I did was I was presented with a problem and then I thought about the problem. So the first step that you need to do is obviously, do you see a problem? And if you see a problem, what can you do about it? And then you just ask yourself what you can do about it, how you can fix it, and then when you can do it. And then why is a really big question to why are you doing it? So these are like really relevant questions that you should ask yourself. And I think I I call this my brain dumping session where I would just, you know, type like all the ideas that I have and all the questions that I have on a single Notion doc or any any documentation, you can use Coda or even a simple Word doc. You just brain dump all these ideas that you have, the questions and everything else into one specific document. And then you just look through all of that. And then you can finally, you know, um, organize them in a way where you can see what your problem is, why you're doing it, who you're doing it for, and how are you going to do it? So these are the four blocks that I think are very useful per, for women founders, not just women founders, for any founder to use um, to guide them through what the problem is and why they want to fix it and everything else like that. It will just follow along in that um, order, basically. So I think it, that's a very systematic way to think about things. And it's just nice to, you know, to have that um, guidance uh, along the way when you do have a, an, an, a new idea in the future. Just use these four um, tactics and then I think you should be all right with that. And also I think another um, really good tip is to just go online and see what people are actually doing and what the what their problems are oh, I mean what the problems they're trying to fix are and then if you have any ideas or if you want to brainstorm ideas with anyone you can definitely just go online because um, especially on Twitter because you can just you know share about your ideas and then who knows someone out there is actually thinking the same thing that you're thinking and then Maybe you can make a partnership out of it. You can find yourself a co-founder or a business bestie, as I'd call it. Um, that's another thing that happened to me as well, where I had shared about my idea on certain um, platforms. And then I had um, quite a number of people actually reaching out to me to want to learn more about what I'm trying to build and then to see if they can be a part of that. So it's a wonderful thing to see um, the collaboration, the networking and everything else. 
Thank you. And that makes me very curious about who you are as a person. Since you're mentioning details that seem to be wonderful, what is the story? If you were to tell it, and you don't have to be too brief, just share what is the story that made you the chef of today? Oh, oh, that's a really great question. Um, yeah, I think it really leads back to my background um, and where I grew up in. I grew up in a in an island in the Bornean Islands of Malaysia, and I had stayed there for a good eighteen years of my life. And then at the age of eighteen, I I knew from a very young age I was gonna go out of the country and then um, you know just pursue my studies elsewhere obviously overseas and then I managed to get a full scholarship to go to Newcastle University on um, to start my foundations and then later on maybe pursue a university route but then I had spent a year in Newcastle um, but I personally didn't think that was the right environment for me to be in because um, as you as you call it, it I got a really bad culture shock because I hadn't been out of the out of my own country for 18 years. And then at the age of 18, very young, um, I moved away to the UK. And obviously I would have a culture shock because it was so, so, so different. And I couldn't acclimate um, very well where I was. So I then figured why not move to the United States? Because at least in the United States, I had some family over in the east and also west coast so I can definitely just run back to them and rely on them whenever I have issues or whenever I'm you know struggling so I had you know discussed with my parents and then they agreed that being in the United States would be a good route for me because then I'd have the support system that I would need and that's where my um, my career in civil engineering can you believe it, um, really started when I was in UMass Lowell. Um, yeah, that's what I actually did a bachelor's degree on, which was in civil and environmental engineering. I'm very proud of my background. I'm not going to lie. I think it definitely has made me become the person and the system thinker that I am right now. Um, but then I realized after I graduated, I really didn't like um, being a civil engineer per se. I didn't like the idea of just doing one career for the rest of my life. And being a civil engineer would mean that, okay, I would just, this is the route that I'm going to take. And this is what my future is going to look like. And I didn't like that. I'm quite a spontaneous person. And I'm very, very, I don't know, I don't like staying in one spot for the rest of my life. And I really wanted to venture out of that. So that's when I realized, okay, um, what did I like from being a civil engineer? And I realized that while I was in a civil engineer, I like managing projects, like, you know, civil engineering projects, you know. Um, at the end of my last year of um, university, I was actually, I raised up my hand and volunteered to be a project manager for a parking garage project that we had in school. And that really sparked my, um, you know, intention to become a leader. So um, I really like managing um, projects, the operations of um, the whole project, and also managing the team that I had to work with. And it was just such a life-changing and a really great revelation for me that I knew now 
what my main purpose in life was supposed to be is to help people, um, you know, to guide them through what they need to do to um, reach a certain goal. So that really started um, peaked my interest in project management. And that's why I enrolled myself um, to a master's degree at Pennsylvania State University for management and organizational leadership. And what really caught my interest for this particular program was basically um, it was a hybrid of their MBA. Um, it was a one-year program of the MBA, basically. So their two-year resident um, MBA program was a, it was a, basically a two-year program. But then they wanted to change that for you know STEM majors who just wanted to learn more about business, and that's why they called this program that I current I was in uh, management and organizational leadership. It was basically the same curriculum that the MBA students would get, but only a year shorter. So I really liked that idea. It was catered to me, a STEM major who had no, um, you know, business background whatsoever. I hadn't even taken like an accounting, you know, um, class or anything like that previous to that. So it was really nice. It was a good um, segue for me to get into the business world. So that happened. And then I graduated very recently. I just graduated from a master's program last year, May 2020. I didn't get to walk on my graduation, but um, who did? Um, but yeah, that was a really great um, moment for me. And then I got myself into my first job, which was in sales and marketing, because I really liked the idea of talking to people and in like the marketing ideas in my head that I had learned from, you know, the marketing classes that I had from business school. And I just thought that really sparked the creativity in me because I also have a creative side besides my system thinking. And that really gave me the confidence and the, you know, the courage to talk to people even more um, because sales itself is a very challenging job because it's you talking to people, you have, you're making 60, 70 calls a day and then you're emailing people. So your writing skills improve. My speaking speak skills are also improve. So that was a really uh, great moment for me as well. And then I realized that, okay, I didn't want to do that long-term. I mean, it, it was great um, that I was building all these skills that I didn't know that I had. Um, then I realized, you know what, I really want to pursue this project management position. That's when I started freelancing as an online business manager. And I realized that, okay, this is something that I see myself doing long term. So I figured why not make a business out of it to begin with. So that's what I did. I launched um, Pocket Sized in October, late October, early November of 2020. And I have been working on that since. And in November is when I found out about the On Deck No Code Fellowship. And I already had this idea of systematize in my head um, because of working and talking to multiple other people. Um, and then this idea, idea just sparked. And then um, I met with KP. He said um, this was a brilliant idea to start with in ODNC. So that's and I think that the rest was history. And I am here today speaking with you because I actually now have somewhat of a viable um, product that I can share with soon. Thank you. That sounds so wonderful. And so many things are worthy to ask about. But the part that caught my attention the most is when you did project management and you found your calling or purpose 
or what you love in life, which is helping people go all the way to reaching goals. Is this correct? Yeah, that's definitely correct. And then for women who wish to become founders or minorities, it will be much, much easier if they can figure out what they love in life because it will ignite the spark in them to push them through the difficult journey, which is entrepreneurship. What would be your advice, similar to that finding of an idea, for someone who wishes to find their purpose, their fire, their bliss, if Joseph Campbell would call it, or their passion? What do you think is the right approach to go do this? Some people, like Mark Manson says, well, try 100 things, even if you don't expect to like it. And within that, one thing will catch your fancy, while other people, more philosophical, like Tolkien philosophy, and etc., they say, look at when you walk around and you experience life, what gives you strong emotions, whether anger or unhappiness, which means it's something that you're driven to change in the world, or it gives you happiness and it fires you up which means it's something you are born to add more of in the world. And through self-reflection, or as was in the Delphi temple, that know yourself, that's the highest you know, and first purpose in life. And therefore, they say, use your emotions as the compass to guide you towards what your purpose should be. While other people say, go experience too many things, if that is possible. In the end, you'll find your fire there. But to you, as a systems thinker, if you were to design a system for life purpose delivery and uh, research and development, what would you say? Yeah, for me, um, I'm not as philosophical as the rest of the people that you just mentioned. I mean, like, it's really great what they, they think and in what their experiences have been like. I think from my own personal experience is that if you want to make sure that you know what you're passionate about or if you want to realize, you know, the things that make you fired up, you could definitely um, 100% talk to people that have been in your shoes and that have been so transparent about sharing what they have struggled with and what they have been through, you know, with the reflecting and then also the different experiences that they have tried. I mean, like, their wisdom and also their support would definitely be so beneficial for you as a um, woman founder or any founder who are who who's just starting out. I think that's the one system that I would um, really, um, you know, share out there is that first you really you really need to know what your um, what you really want to do, and then if if you're still if you're still like really confused and really need to figure out, okay, what is it that you want to do? Just search for people that you can talk to. There are so many different people, so many different like coaches, women founders out there who are just so willing to share their um, experiences and their journey to get to where they are right now. I mean, if someone would come up to me and like, you know, chat with me on Twitter, I would more more be more than happy to share with you like what I had to go through, you know, to, to maybe potentially make your life so much easier along the way. And you'll have that mentorship guidance in a way, in a sense, if you, you might say, um, with these people. So 
I think to have that mindset to always be able to know that you can always ask for help is really great. Um, there's just so many people out there who are extremely giving with their time. I think that would be a system. So reach out to people, talk to them, learn from them. And then um, that's when you get started to realize what is actually really out there for you and to ignite that passion that you you didn't know that you would have in you. Thank you. And you say you're not philosophical, but philosophy means loving wisdom. And that was such a wise approach. So I guess you didn't you discover about yourself that you're more of a philosopher than you thought and in a similar vein. Often, you know, the best advice we give is 10 times more true for us than for the listener, but also it's very valuable. So if you were to consult your heart, about a piece of advice that your heart feels should be more of or shared or heard more in this world, and it applies to you as well, what would be the right advice in this moment that will be the highest impact and value in your life and that the listeners will benefit from as well? Yeah, that's such a, that's a, such a great question. I think if I had looked back at myself a few months ago and even now to be quite honest with you I think one advice that I would give to myself and other people out there is to never be afraid to be different and to never be afraid to make your dreams come true you know um, I, I realized this very very late in 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 in, in my age um, very recently I found this um, that I was so afraid to take the leap of like um, quitting my job or starting something because then um, I would have this imposter syndrome that everyone talks about quite recently as well. Um, so yeah, I have done and gone out of my way to make sure that that feeling will slowly dissipate and will eventually disappear from my life for good. Because right now, obviously, I still feel that from time to time. But then I realized that, okay, if you start making this a routine and making, you know, be transparent to people and then just being your utmost self, you're definitely going to make that feeling go away. Um, that fear and the doubts that you have about yourself, that's definitely going to go away if you just believe and have the support system that you need around you. So yeah, one advice is to never be afraid of that. And also the second thing is to make sure that you're always, always surrounded by people that believe in you. Um, you know, um, as we're growing up, we find ourselves like separating from people that don't believe in you that just have been you know dragging you behind because of their words and their discouragement and it's it's really sad to see sometimes um I personally have um, had that happen to me as well but you know I have grown through that and I have made myself a better person and I have gone through so many challenges just to be where I am today so yeah, I think patience is also key to get to where you are in your life right now. Thank you very much. That was absolutely insightful, truthfully beautiful. And I have to ask again, 
because you mentioned the imposter syndrome. Please explore it more because maybe some people don't even know it's called that or they don't have a name for it or don't know why it happens or how to deal with it. And I'm not asking you to speak in general about what other people would say, but to your own, you know, to thyself be true or saying your own experience. What is the imposter syndrome? How did it feel? Why do you think it happened or what causes it? And you spoke about ways to fix it, etc. But let's explore it. What is it? How does it feel? Why do you think it happens? So maybe a listener who's dealing with such things and doesn't even know it's called that, or maybe they thought it's something other than what you'll describe, might benefit. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was introduced with imposter syndrome um, early last year, actually. Um, it was through, you know, multiple videos on Instagram and TikTok where people had been talking about, oh, who do I even think I am? You know, like I'm posting all these videos about teaching people how to do certain things in their lives. And what is my credibility in teaching people to do this? So I think um, that is my definition of what imposter syndrome is, is that you thinking that you don't have enough credibility to be teaching or sharing about what you want to share with the world. So one particular um incident that I had with imposter syndrome was obviously, you know, getting graduate, having graduated from a civil engineering bachelor's degree, right? So I had like my engineering background. And I thought to myself, like, what business did I have to get into, you know, in, into the business world? What business did I have to change my career now? And then why would people want to admit me into their schools or even hire me into their, um, companies because I I have so many different other you know capabilities in me not just engineering base I have my business you know um, capabilities as well so that's when I realized that okay um, I, I don't think I'm good enough to do these things and then that's why I actually went into my master's degree because I didn't think I was good enough to apply for you know marketing roles or even like man like project management roles in like different companies because I thought that people would think okay she's an engineer that's all she's gonna do for the rest of her life I don't think she can accumulate all these knowledge about business in a short period of time or we can't teach her you know and that is oh it was such a really um, difficult time for me because I was just kind of pondering around with where I want to see my life going and then that really was, I, and I, at the time, I didn't know what it was called because this was in late 2019, um, actually mid, mid to late 2019. And I haven't been introduced to the word imposter syndrome yet. And then early 2020, that's when I was introduced to that. And that was by the time I was already going to graduate from business school. And I realized that I, I actually could have just learned that on my own, what I learned in business school, maybe through, you know, coaching or talking to people and, you know, women founders that have been um, in my shoes before. So that's when I realized, okay, I actually know what I'm talking about now. And I want to share that with the world. But then there's that hesitation that you, you, you think, 
when you want to share with people oh are they going to listen to me do i have enough you know experience behind me do i have to be um at an age where i'm like way older than i am now to start sharing with people but then i realized that the experience that i had um you know experienced in the past is what people really want to hear about and that's really what connects people to my mission and my drive and the things that I do want to share with the world about. So yeah, imposter syndrome is such a real thing and it's a real struggle for so many people out there. But then one advice I think I would give them is also to just just do it. And if you if you don't feel like you like it, then you can stop. But if you feel like you are giving value to people, even though you have haters in your comment section and stuff like that, just continue doing it because you don't you don't know at one point where you're going to inspire one person, and that one person is what's gonna lead you to more successes in the future. So if you just continue doing what you're doing and then sharing what you're sharing to the world, you're you're definitely going to get that one person that truly believes in what you're trying to share. Thank you very much. And I agree with you that both you can change the life of one person and that can fire you up and totally change your approach and mindset and perspective on the imposter syndrome, as mm-hmm. well as one person can because of noticing you be a blessing in your life that changes the trajectory of where you're going in ways that you don't expect now because the worst part about where we are today is that we see only the limited options we have now we don't see the roads that can open one step ahead or two and that we can only get there And when we get there, we can see them. But if we stand still or go backward, we will stay stuck within those limited options rather than find the unexpected doorways that can take us somewhere with a lot more opportunities, options, scenery, and landscapes. So thank you very much. And if you have anything to add, as well as if people wish to communicate with you to learn more about you, to ask you questions or just follow you, what are the best social media or websites for them to go? And I'll make sure to write it in the description. Yeah, um, you can definitely, I'm very active on Twitter. Um, I just reignited my Twitter account not too long ago. I had a long hiatus on Twitter for several years, but then because of ODNC, I have become so 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 active on it so definitely follow me there it's s-h-a-f-g-a-z that's my twitter handle and um, i'm also on instagram with the same handle and you can also follow and connect with me on linkedin it's gonna be my full name if you just search for my full name nur shafika shahira you can definitely find me there thank you and just curious about this since you use clubhouse linkedin Instagram, etc. How is Twitter a different beast, if we might call it? What's the uniqueness yeah. <laughs> about it? What's all that's going on? If you were to describe it to someone who maybe didn't use Twitter for the last five or 10 years, what drew you to it other than uh, on deck? What, how do you feel is different? What is so addictive about it, etc.? And do you think 
that Twitter spaces will dominate and be bigger than Clubhouse or not? Just thoughts on Twitter, how it is, describing it, and everything. Yeah, I feel like um, Twitter is like an open source of like people being vulnerable, if you get what I mean. It's just people sharing about their lives, their journey to where they're currently at right now and the products that they're currently building i mean these to, to be to take it for um you know in a different way is that i am following obviously it depends on who the people you're following um to see what kind of tweets that you're surrounded surrounding yourself with so right now i'm following people who are in the building public community the on deck community you know founders and investors and stuff like that so these are the things that i'm currently seeing on a day-to-day basis but at the same time there's so many different things that you can find on twitter like people sharing about their e-commerce products, small businesses. I mean, there's just so many, so many different people that you can find on Twitter. And I just feel like, like I mentioned before, it's an open source of like people being vulnerable um, with other people and just sharing their um, experiences um, on Twitter. And to answer your questions, I have not been in a Twitter spaces yet, like a, 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 a space like that yet, but to be quite honest with you, a lot of the people who are on Clubhouse has like a default um, Twitter account. So I'm pretty sure I don't I don't want to jinx this, but like I think Twitter Spaces is going to trump um, Clubhouse um, for not now, but like in the future, I think Twitter Spaces is definitely going to be um, defeating Clubhouse. I hope no one really comes at me for saying that. But yeah, I think that's my personal opinion on that. Thank you very much. And if you turn out to be right, you know the episode to quote and say, I predicted this before it happened. <laughs> I'm such a great uh, expert at prognostics, etc. So you can use yeah. this as proof. Thank yeah, you, like, Shaf. Yeah, yeah, no thanks. problem. This was such a such a, an incredible experience. Now I realize that I'm not only prognostic, but I'm also philosophical. Thanks to you, <laughs> so this is this has such been a great great session, and I'm so so thankful to be on here. So I am, I cannot thank you enough. Seriously, you're welcome. It's my honor, my privilege, and it was such a great time to peer and into your thoughts and explore your mind and i wish you a great day you as well thank you mm-hmm.